0: So what is Wayward Stories? Well, if you'll hang around for a little while, you might just find out. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Wayward Stories. So what is Wayward Stories? You may be asking yourself if you're just checking in to check us out. Well, Wayward Stories is, well, it's a passion project of mine that is three years in the making, um, and now in its most current iteration, what it is intended to be is a platform for you, the listener, to tell your stories of outdoor adventure, out in the wilderness, the backcountry, on the trails, on the mountain biking trails, the hiking trails, the water trails, the paddle trails. um, Gosh, it could be anything rock climbing, it could be at the ocean, it could be in the mountains, it could be in the desert, anywhere and everywhere that you go out to explore the great unknown and possibly even maybe possibly find yourself, those are the kinds of stories that we want to hear. We want to build a big online community that is multifaceted um, in social media and then also here through the podcast um, of just... All of us wayward souls who are out there looking for something more, whether it be personal about ourselves or it just be looking for adventure in the great outdoors. And that is what wayward stories is intended to be. And on that note, if you have a story of some great adventure that you have been on or some discovery you have made, you can submit it to be read on air to my at gmail.com. That's how we're going to do this thing. Um, So how did we come to this? How did we come to me creating this podcast? Um, a few years ago, um, well, I grew up in Eastern Oklahoma. Let's start there. I grew up in Southeastern Oklahoma, traversing the Washita mountains way back then in the day I used to hunt, um, with a friend of mine and his father, who I will be eternally grateful to and probably never get the chance to tell him at this point. Um, because he gave me that opportunity and took me along for the ride when I otherwise wouldn't have really had that opportunity. Um, and I truly sincerely fell in love with the backcountry, country in those situations, in those, in that time of my life. And it was really only through he and his father. And then also another friend of mine and his father to a lesser extent. And that's how I got my exposure to, uh, the back country, the wilderness, because back there, down there in the Washita Mountains of Southeast Oklahoma, it is wilderness. You go way back in there, you're way back in there. Um, Absolutely beautiful. And it's it's kind of a, for me at the time, as a, as a well, I guess at the time, I would have been like a, what, a tween, do they call it now? A preteen, 10, 11, 12 years old, and then into my teen years. It's almost kind of like a, a magical adventure as you you go out into something that you find has so much awe or creates so much awe in you. And it's, to you at that time, completely unexplored. And who knows what could be out there, what there might be to find. Um, And that really cemented my love for the outdoors. I've been paddling the rivers, whitewater and otherwise, since I was in my early 20s. I've been Doing more of what I call trekking. These days, I do a lot more hiking, but I always do, did a lot more trekking. Um, I love to get out topographical maps and uh, find the old ones. Get the old ones, like the early surveys, the 19-teens and 20s and 30s, whatever you can get your hands on, and locate old structures that are no longer existent on new maps, just down in National Forest property and just find a way to get to it and see if there's anything left. And a lot of times... There is, and that's really neat. I really love that, and I still do that to some degree to this day. Um, But I've spent my entire life out there. And then I went through a decade where I was a little bit insulated from it. I still went, okay, quite a bit insulated from it because, you know, real life, grown-up life takes over, amongst many other things, during that time span. Um, I still made a couple of trips a year, at least, to the river um, didn't do nearly as much hiking during that time frame. It was mostly preoccupied with the trappings of modern society and trying to make a place for myself in this world, which, ironically, never happened. Um, but to the end of the culmination of that time, near the end of it, I had very traumatic set of circumstances that came together all at once. Um, it was three major things that we may talk about at some point down the line. It probably will work its way into the podcast because it's a big part of my story and how we got here. But for now, suffice to say, they were very, very traumatic. Um, and it was a singular, three things that created a singular circumstance, kind of a perfect storm of BS that came together and resulted in me basically losing my entire peer group um, because I... I um in that whole, one of the traumatic circumstances, to me, it was very traumatic, was a divorce um, that I wasn't really down for. Didn't really want that to happen. But at the culmination of that, I lost almost my entire peer group because the people, you know, my in-laws and everything that I was married into, that was essentially my peer group about all I had in the world. So at the end of all that, and all these things coming together, I was kind of left adrift in the world um, with only one best friend in the world who lived about 800 miles away in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And he is a wonderful human being and really cemented himself as one of the greatest men I've ever known through that period of my life. He was there for me. Nobody else was. He was. Um, and uh, yeah, I was kind of in a bad place. I was in a very bad place. And I'm not going to get into that. Um, not here tonight. But it set me on a path. I kind of took a lot of steps out of self-preservation. That's a good way to put it. Because I ended up with some time on my hands. Like every so often on a weekend. I worked many hours then. But if I ended up on a weekend where I did not have my daughter for that weekend. Being alone was not the right thing for me. That was not going to be okay. And I was not going to be okay. So I went back out. It kind of also, in addition to giving me something to go do, um, it re it revived my love for the outdoors. It re, re that resurfaced. That all came back. In addition to all of this, I had my entire life been a very creative person. I was playing the drums at four years old. Um I was in high school band, I was in marching band, I was in concert band, then I was in a rock band, then I was in a jazz band, then I was in another rock band. Um, I learned to play guitar, bass, all, just a bunch of different stuff. Um, I've always been artistic minded in my mid twenties, got into film and video, actually became a semi created, started created and became semi quasi low level successful, um, creating a couple of TV shows that aired in a European market for a little while there. And we did some commercials. We did a lot of little things, um, and all these things were very creative, but then within that decade of kind of insulation, my moratorium against all the things I love, apparently, as it, you know, hindsight of 2020, 20, that kind of went away as well. So when I was kind of forced out of this, this, uh, hibernation of sorts that I was in against my will, it seemed like a horrible thing, but it gave me something that I had lost in that time, which was, it gave me my. Well, it gave me my freedom in a way. It gave me freedom to be able to pursue the things I love again, to be able to go back out into the backcountry and back to the wilderness. That started as steps of self-preservation, but it revived like the drive within me to be there, to see it, and to experience it. And with that came my desire to create again. And my artistic side, my self-expression side. And I got back into photography. And I got back into um, moving photography um, in the form of YouTube. And the idea was born to create a podcast. Because I absolutely love telling stories. It is who I am. I am a storyteller as I've come to uh, accept and understand in my adult life, finally. When the idea originally came to me to create stories, um, it was, again, it was almost another one of those out of uh, self-preservation things I realized. I discovered podcast, Um very quickly because I'm a delivery driver for a major delivery company. Let's just call them Big Purple so I don't actually say their name. Maybe I'm kind of covered. I don't know. Don't really care anymore anyway. Um, but I drove at that time. The route that I covered was, got 350 miles a day. 12, 13 hours and I'm there alone with my thoughts all day, which is kind of, you know, feeling what you feel and engaging your feelings is a great thing. And I cannot emphasize that enough that you need to do that. Hiding from things and bottling them up is like one of the biggest problems I think we actually have as a society. But also you can't do that all the time, especially when you've been through something really extremely traumatic, at least to you personally trauma comes in all shapes, sizes, and forms, and it's, you know, valid to the very person it happens to, Um, it it jacked me up, and you can't live with that in your head all day, so I discovered podcast, I just know I was a late comer to the podcast game, and fell in love with a few, and to be honest, to be maybe a little bit too personal here, um, because I guess in a way this is kind of pathetic, maybe it's a little bit embarrassing, maybe I shouldn't say it, but being completely honest, I didn't have anyone left in the world. Like some of those podcasters, they'll never know it, but they became some of the only friends I had for quite a long time, several, several months. Um, and kept me company throughout those days. And sometimes even falling asleep at night, they kept me company and, you know, probably in a very real way, I mean, maybe this is a little bit sensationalistic, but I don't know. Like I lived it, and as I think back, they might have, in a very real way, played a role in keeping me alive, Um, to be honest, because, boy, if you were just stuck with all that kind of crap all day long, it'd be brutal. Anyway, trying to get off of that, because, well, here's some more full transparency. This podcast, we're already nine episodes in. Now, you're listening to episode one, but we're already nine episodes in, and it's already out there in the world. This recording is a re-recording of episode one. Why? Because the first three episodes, I'm going to re-record all three. It's because they were too heavy. To be real honest, I gave too much. And I'm an open person. I am transparent, transparent and I have no reason to hide anything. I'm not ashamed of anything. But it was just too much and it was too heavy. And as I've been listening back through these nine episodes, I've realized... These three episodes, particularly, are out of place. Three things do not belong here. They don't fit into the vibe that picked up after episode four as, again, you know, you start a new creative project, you start to find your stride, you start to find what works, you start to find what feels right, and those three episodes, they don't feel right. So this is literally a re-recording. If you previously had listened to the first three and you've come back and you hear this And you're like, what the heck? Where'd those other episodes go? Those are, I guess you could call them, they're gonna be the lost episodes henceforth. No one will ever hear them again. Once these are re uploaded, that's the end of those three episodes. And it's not because I regret anything I said so much as it doesn't fit what we're doing and it doesn't fit where my life's gone. You know what? I don't wanna dwell on all the negative garbage that happened because the whole point, everything about this, Oh, what's the right word? The inspiration for this came from the idea, look what happened in my life. Terrible things happened, but beyond terrible things, beyond being victimized, beyond trauma, there can be a good life, an even better life than you ever had before. Because that's what happened to me. What I thought was the worst thing that ever happened to me became the best thing that ever happened to me. They're really both at the same time. It's a strange paradox, but they run parallel. This is the best thing that ever happened to me. It gave me my life back. It gave me a chance to find myself. It gave me a chance to go out and be who I was put here on this planet to be. Or whatever purpose it is I'm supposed to serve. I have that opportunity now. Um, And so that's what that podcast. this podcast is really meant to be. is more like a celebration of overcoming crap. And those first three episodes really just hung out in the weeds. And in the gutters. And it just didn't fit. So... This is a re-recording of episode one, as will be episode two and three in the next few days, shortly. Um, So getting that out of the way, this is me trying to represent the kind of life you can have after the fact, and open the floor for you guys to tell your stories, and it doesn't have to have anything to do with bad stuff or trauma. That's just what set me on my way. That was my catalyst. That's what kicked me out that way, and I found... Over these last three years of going out, exploring, and meeting, and talking to people, it's not just me. There's a lot of people out there just like me. But I don't want this to be mutually exclusive of the other. I don't want these to be separate entities. I want this to be good stories. I want this to be fun. I want us to have fun talking about the things we love out there, not dwelling on the crap that hurt us. So, If you want to tell a story, and you need to tell what happened to you, To get to why it's so valuable to you to get outside and whatever it is you do out there, by all means, by all means, bring it on. We will tell that story. But also, I don't want it to exclude anyone who just has awesome stories, you know? You can just have an awesome story of some awesome trip. Some, It could be anything. I don't care what it is. It could be anything of some awesome trip. Let's expose each other to all the wonders of this world. And that's what this podcast is going to be about. Share the experience. Let's share the experience. So that's kind of how we got here. Um, it took three years. It took a lot of reiterations. And as it is, we're in the middle of another one with these first three episodes. But I think we're on track after that. I think we finally got where we want to be. And this, for me, is a triumph of sorts. This is a culmination of three years of wanting to do this, but trying to find my voice to do it. Because I'm the kind of person on a creative level that if I don't have it right in front of me, if I don't see the button, the hook, and how it's going to engage people, why it's going to matter to people... I can say this looks like a great idea, but without the hook, without the button, I don't know how to proceed forward and I'm not going to. I'm not going to waste time on moving forward with a project when, listen, I've created a lot of things and I've moved forward on projects without the button and the hook just because I knew the idea worked and the idea didn't end up working. You have to have that engagement point. You have to have that thing that gets people's ears and their attention and actually connects with them in their gut, why they want to see it, why they want to hear it. And then you move. And that's what took so long to get to this one. But it was a necessary three years, as I discovered. I learned a lot from all the phases that this went through. My YouTube channel's out there. Go check it out YouTube.com forward slash wayward stories. Um, that was not really the first iteration, but it's the first thing I took on because it was the easiest to start doing and just kind of recording some of my adventures out there. That was a first step towards me starting to share myself um, because that was what the drive was all along to share me and share everything that I've learned, things I've been through, experiences I've had that were amazing um, to try to connect to people. Because to me, I don't know why. I don't know what it comes to in the end, but I i love people and I want to connect to people. And that was the beginning of me trying to do it. I had a whole different name back then. Men who don't fit in. Um, and it wasn't just about men. It actually was a clever play on a poem from Robert Service in 1911. The men who don't fit in. About people who just don't conform to you know, the constraints of normal, modern, whatever society. And have to go their own way. But the name just, it was exclusive, it turned out. Women were just like ignoring it. And I don't want anything to be exclusive. I am all inclusive. Everyone, everyone, bring it on. We're all, all going to be buddies up in here. That's what I want. I love people. I want to connect with people. Um, and we finally got to where we need to be. And here we are making the podcast. So with all of that said, I believe the podcast, the general idea is now probably, (laughs) be, beat a dead horse the the idea is out there for you to understand now we've covered it and you have a little bit of my my backstory i felt it necessary to include what my catalyst was even though it's kind of crappy deal because i mean i need to be relatable to you guys and we've all been through something and i need to be i mean let's just stick with that word i need to be relatable um And so I thought it was necessary. And so we have done it. But anyway, let's move on to the point of tonight's episode. Now that we're probably what, 10, 12 minutes in now, let's get to the point of tonight's episode. And let me kind of introduce you to the form, the format, how we're going to do this. We're not going to do housekeeping for 12 minutes every night. We're going to go just story to story. But if you listen from here on out, I'm going to tell you a story of something that was a huge opportunity that became available to me. And I got to go out and explore some of the world and kind of give you an idea of what kind of stories you can send in to be told. Um, It's good to go here. It's a good segue because really this opportunity that came up is one that not everyone gets. And I recognize how fortunate, blessed, lucky, whatever word you want to use, I am that it came to me, but is also after a lifetime of not having much opportunity to do really much of anything I did manage some cool trips over the first 35 years of my life I did drive to Canada when I was 16 just because yeah it's literally how that happened my buddy and I were sitting in his new car one night that he had just gotten it was a Honda Prelude man it was a fast car probably one of the times the closest I ever came to dying was probably in that car um But we were sitting in that new car. It was only three or four years old, a Honda Prelude. I mean, in 1996, the dashboard of that thing, it looked like sitting in the cockpit of a fighter jet. And we were sitting there, and I was just being a smart aleck. He was like, man, we got to go on a road trip. And he's like, yeah, He's like, where are we going to go? And I was like, Canada. Let's drive to Canada. And so like four months later, we did. We saved all of our money working our part-time job at KFC Taco Bell after school. And then the summer came, we got out of school and we drove to Canada. And my own mother didn't even really believe we were going to go until I called her from Goodland, Kansas at a hotel room. And she was like, I didn't really think you were going to do this. (laughs) I've done a few things, but for most of my life, it's been a struggle. It's been filled with obstacles and just being, you know, barely above poverty line, if even most of my life. Um, And this opportunity came up and it was a huge opportunity. And trust me, because of everything that preceded it, I appreciated it thoroughly. And now in hindsight, I appreciate it even more because I realize it came at the perfect time to be the perfect thing that I needed to move forward and to get on track with being who the heck I'm supposed to be in this world. And so, here we are. And this opportunity is, Big Purple came to me and said, hey, we got a got a thing going on in California, just south of San Francisco, a town called Watsonville. Um, they got a terminal out there and we need help getting packages out. You want to travel, make some real money for a while? Um, yes. Yes, I do. I would love to go to the central coast of California and get paid more than I get paid here. Yeah, let's do that. Gee, let me think. Sure. Um long story short to kind of the culmination of all that, but it came down to it and I did the research, you know, like this is kind of key. Take advantage of opportunities, guys. Think of ways you could make the most out of what's before you. I knew I had an awesome opportunity here. I had always, always wanted to drive through the desert Southwest because I just love, I love history. So I very much love the idea of the iconic Route 66, 1940s, 50s, 60s, you know, that nostalgic look, that nostalgic idea of the desert Southwest and the American family going out and exploring. Um, So I said, I did a little research. Had a little light bulb come on, did a little research and said, hey, boss, I um, did some research and my plane ticket out there is going to cost X amount of dollars. You know what? You give me a gas card, comp a couple of nights in a hotel. I'll save you some money. I'll drive out there. Can I drive out there? I would love to drive out there. And he was like, well, yeah, I guess so. I mean, and I showed him my numbers so he knew I wasn't just, you know, shooting the breeze at him. He's like, yeah, man, if you want to. And I worked it out where I got myself three days for the drive. And um, yeah, that is the beginning of basically my grand adventure into California that lasted a grand total of two and a half months. um, And is going to take up the majority of the next six episodes of this show. Now, this was like so needed At this time in my life, because like this had been a growing thing inside of me, the desire to go and experience more and explore and see. And I mean, you couldn't have you couldn't have written a better script to bring this about for me. It truly was out of left field and absolutely perfect because all my delving back into the wilderness Out of self preservation, had started to give way to the desire to know I need to do this. I need to go see things I've never seen. I need this. My soul needs this. And bam, here this comes along. So, really, I set out on an adventure of discovery, but not just discovering parts of this world that I've always wanted to see, but like in and of myself. Like this podcast, the YouTube. Everything that has come out of the last three years and where I'm going forward was out of this trip, truly. The things that happened that led up to this trip and then this trip itself laid the groundwork for me becoming who it is I want to be and what it is I want to do. So anyway, it is a grand adventure, as it were. And I set out on Christmas Eve. Yes, Christmas Eve of... 2018 on this grand adventure i left after work and thought i could make it to amarillo and went to amarillo checked out big texan there in amarillo here's the thing guys when you leave the arkansas arkansas and and hit the arkansas state line on interstate 40 heading west driving across oklahoma is not what you might think most people think oklahoma is like flat ugly and barren this is not true like half of Oklahoma is flat, ugly, and barren. The eastern half of Oklahoma is really, really pretty. Um, The green country area, which more or less encompasses interstate 40 to Oklahoma City, that's kind of more the northeast portion of the state, a little less dramatic, more rolling hills, but it's green. There's trees everywhere. There are rivers, um, lakes, huge lakes. Um, It's really pretty. Southeast Oklahoma, I just need to shove this in here because shout out, like, Southeast Oklahoma is stunningly beautiful, different portions of it at different times a year, like, good grief, Talamena Scenic Drive in the fall. People come from all over the United States to drive down that highway for the fall color change. Um, Eastern Oklahoma is a beautiful place. Western Oklahoma, it's not so aesthetically interesting, let's say. However, I will say this, when you time it out, like if you leave for Amarillo from Fort Smith, Arkansas at, you know... I don't know, four or five, whatever time I left that day after work, you're going to get to Amarillo before midnight. And the best thing is, is by the time you hit Oklahoma City, you're, you've got a sunset thing going on. So you get like the last three hours through the aesthetically uninteresting part of Oklahoma kind of out of the way in the dark. That stuff kind of happens in the dark. So you can just kick on a podcast or an audiobook or whatever music you're, you're rocking out to and just kick it through the night sky and yeah it's 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 a it's a good way to take on that part of the journey um interestingly enough there's like the, one of the windiest sections of north america is right there in western oklahoma and as such it is home to one of the biggest wind farms you will ever see turbines as far as you can see for miles At night, this is especially interesting because you will come up over a hill and suddenly you will be amongst thousands of tiny red flashing lights in the sky and you can't see what they're connected to because it's the middle of the night in western Oklahoma. There's not exactly street lights. I mean, you can just look out your car window and see the Milky Way. It's like dark sky area. Um... But you got all these little red dots flashing, and they appear to be connected to nothing. And it creates a very surreal experience. It's actually kind of a fun drive at night, for me at least, because it just looked really, really interesting um, and kind of surreal. But you get the Amarillo. I think I got there that night at about nine o'clock because I remember I rolled into Big Tex. Now, the Big Texan is is that steak in Amarillo. You see the signs on 40. It's like, if you eat the whole steak in an hour, it's free, you know? Like, you got to read the fine print. You got to eat everything they bring too. And good Lord, I couldn't, even if I wanted to. I'll never attempt it. I don't even want to attempt it. But I did want to check out that restaurant because in this area, anyone who's ever driven, on 40, which we have our entire lives growing up in this part of the world, has seen the sign. The 72 ounce steak. So I just wanted to check it out. It was neat. It was a cool place. Um and they have really great food. And I'm sure the 70 out two ounce steak is awesome too, but it's not my uh that's not in my wheelhouse to go after. Um but they have great food. I was talking to a guy in there that night, because Amarillo stinks y'all if you're in Amarillo and you're listening to me, listen, understand that I love you and I think you have a cool city. I'm not talking trash. I'm just like giving an honest outsider's review. It's a smell that permeates the entire city and it's a rough smell. And anyway, I asked this guy, I was like, what is this smell? And he was like, "What well, smells like money, son. That's the smell of money. And I was like, the money like pulled out of the septic holding tank of Walter White's rolling meth lab. And it's what it is, is it's the stockyards. It's the cattle yards. It's where all cows go to uh, be sorted to somewhere else to become someone's dinner. Um And it stinks. It smells bad. Um But Amarillo is a very cool city. When I left from Amarillo's where I stayed, when I left from Amarillo that next morning, I headed for Williams, Arizona specifically because Williams, Arizona is kind of known as like the gateway to the Grand Canyon. Um, and I'd figured into my time driving out there, like I said, I take the opportunity to drive. Not only will I get to see all the beautiful scenery, but there are many things that I might could, if I played my cards right and drive like I know how to drive, work into this trip and experience some things I've always wanted to experience. So I set out and headed for Williams, Arizona. When you take off on 40 out of Amarillo, it's kind of interesting. You almost feel like they drew state lines. Well, I know they did on geography in many instances, especially rivers. But like this is, that's probably a bad way to word this. But like you're rolling through the Texas panhandle and like basically from Oklahoma City to the other side of Amarillo to the line with New Mexico and the Texas panhandle. It's all pretty much the same. It's kind of boring to look at, but I'm talking almost immediately upon hitting New Mexico. It's gorgeous. It becomes absolutely breathtakingly beautiful um, to me, at least. You get all of these mesas start to pop up, the colors, the red rocks, the yellow rocks, like there's so many, you know, some of them are almost purples. The colors start to come out, the mesas, it's a whole different scenery. It's a whole different world. And to me, it's absolutely beautiful, incredibly aesthetically interesting. Not so much to other people, some people, apparently. Like before I left, I had people I work with, like, you're gonna drive? You're gonna hate that drive. It's so boring. It's the worst drive ever. Between Oklahoma City in the New Mexico state line, it's boring. That's like maybe five hours of the drive or six of a 28-hour drive. Every bit of the rest of it was absolutely stunning. It was beautiful, and I loved it. The time flew by for me. It was a great drive. New Mexico is absolutely the land of enchantment. As they say, it kind of has that feel. When you're there, you feel like you're in another world. And it's an absolutely beautiful, beautiful place. It's an enchanting place. Um, Gosh, there's so many things there. Santa Rosa and the Blue Hole. I checked out a few little things going through there. Um, some of them I checked out more on the return trip. But New Mexico, I more or less just drove through on the way out because I wanted the Grand Canyon. So... I kick it all the way to Williams, Arizona. It is the southern terminus of the Grand Canyon Railway, which is a year-round passenger excursion train that runs to the Grand Canyon. It's 64 miles long. It's also highway goes up there. Um, And it is a really cool little town. Williams, Arizona, I could probably move there. Like, I talked to some people in the town there, and they're like, uh, no. But, you know, everyone that lives somewhere currently thinks that that place sucks typically speaking but Williams is beautiful it's a small town it's got like two or three thousand people I think according to the census um it's absolutely it's just a really neat really neat little town um but I get into Williams and I take off I forget which highway but I hit the highway north to go to the Grand Canyon and I kick it all the way up however many miles to the Grand Canyon 60 or so get into Grand Canyon National Park and, you know, like if you ever do this, number one, watch out for the elk. Like, and I know, elk herds, they move here and there. But on that particular day, they were everywhere for several miles. Like once you get kind of really right to the end inside the park, but before you hit the pay gate, there were elk everywhere. It was really, really pretty. But, you know, be careful. Elk will jack your car up. Um, but I get all the way up there and I get into the Grand Canyon. I get to the pay gate right? And I pull up to the pay gate and there's nobody there. My first thought is it's Christmas Eve. But then I thought, no, this is really, really strange. Something about this is really strange. This doesn't feel right because there are other cars there. There, I passed cars coming out and I was with cars going in and there were no people there. So I pull up to my little, you know, booth to go through and there's just no one there. And There's no real sign that really tells you what's going on or what to do. And what it turned out to be is during that time in 2018, if you'll recall, we were going through one of our government shutdowns where all the employees were laid off for the time being. So Grand Canyon was closed, but it was open. You could just drive right in. And fortunately, I wasn't the only idiot that didn't understand that because as I looked around, there were other cars at the other um, through gates who were looking just like I was, bewildered, looking for a sign anywhere that explained what was going on and how they should proceed. And they had, you know, just as little luck as I did and eventually just drove through. It was kind of cool because to get into any national park, it's like 40 bucks now. And so I got into the Grand Canyon for free that day. Now, granted, there weren't any services or concessions, but I was in there for free that day. And so were lots and lots and lots of other people, including bus tour groups. Um, the Grand Canyon, oh my, oh my, it was established as a national park in 1919. It was home to multiple, multiple tribes and peoples, Native American tribes and Native American peoples throughout the eons. Um, the canyon itself is 277 miles long, in some places as much as 18 miles wide, and it is one mile deep. Um... And it is absolutely breathtaking. And I, I mean that, like by definition, you walk up when you finally breach an area where you can see into the canyon, your first glimpse of the canyon will absolutely stop you in your tracks. I stopped and just like took a deep breath because I was like, oh my God, you cannot comprehend the magnitude of the Grand Canyon from paper paper from satellite pictures I was looking at some pictures from the international space station earlier of it and you're like oh yeah you you can't comprehend it until you're there and you're a part of it and you have yourself for perspective you have yourself to contrast against and see it it's ginormous but it's also incredibly beautiful and like you're in the presence of awe-inspiring beauty. I I don't know, words fail me right now um, to properly describe it. But if you've never been, many people have, but if you've never been, you do need to make it a part of your bucket list, somewhere on the list, it needs to go there because you do need to at least see it. Even if you only go up and you only hike around the South Rim um, on the Rim Trail, even if you just kind of go up and and check it out in a very very touristy fashion, just a, a fleeting glance, just a glancing blow at being at the Grand Canyon, just so you can stand in the wonder of a physical landscape feature of that magnitude. It's just, it's shocking. It's shocking and it'll move something in your soul or, you know, if you don't believe you have a soul, because again, like I said, all inclusive here, all the way from atheist to spiritualist to anything in between. We're all about all of it. We're here for all of it, Um, but it will touch you somewhere deep down inside. Maybe that's the best way to put it, and it will inspire you to something, if nothing more than self-reflect. It's an absolutely incredible thing to see. Um... The Grand Canyon itself, it had it had a lot of meaning to me that day. Something I love to do when I go out. I did it many times that day at the Grand Canyon. As you're wandering around, and I wandered around the Rim Trail, I did some hiking up at the top um, with what time I had there that day. And I hiked around, and I took my photographs, and I took my pictures, and I did my thing. But every time I saw somebody trying to get like a picture of themselves and their family or them and their boyfriend or them and their girlfriend or their significant other and struggling to get themselves and the magnitude of the thing that was behind them into that picture I offered to take it for them and I did that multiple times that day and everyone was incredibly grateful incredibly friendly Even though I and most of them had a huge language barrier, we did not understand each other um, linguistically, we absolutely understood each other. The smile says everything. There's something about that human smile, man. Why is it that all humans, from all races, all cultures, anywhere in the world, no matter how remote, the smile is organic when you feel good? It is an organic thing that comes out of every single human. No matter how you were raised. No matter, you know, nature or nurture, as they say. doesn't matter how or why. Like, none of that stuff affects the smile. The smile happens when you are happy. And I've always just found that incredibly interesting. Because no one teaches you how to smile. But that day, on the brim of the Grand Canyon, everyone is all smiles. And... You all understand each other, even if you don't understand each other. Because everyone is standing in awe. Everyone is shocked by the magnitude of this natural wonder. Everyone is self-reflecting. Everyone has become inspired. Everyone is on the same page. And on the rim of that canyon, when you're there, basically everybody is exactly the same. For all intents and purposes... Not intensive purposes. Y'all better get that right. For all intents and purposes, everyone on the rim of that canyon is the exact same. And it's awesome. It is a beautiful thing to witness and be a part of. And if you insert yourself into that, if you offer to take those pictures for people, if you make a hand, as uh some of my buddies' dads used to say in high school, they all owned cows and you didn't want to have to make a hand, trust me. Um you you don't want to have to make a hand. I've even got my own personal cow call. Um, <laughs> but insert yourself into the situation and help some people out. You'll make new friends, and you'll you'll make some memories that'll last a lifetime. Absolutely guarantee it. Um, my time at the Grand Canyon that day wasn't ne- short by necessity because I had to drive on to San Francisco, and I was kind of hitting some of the high points on the way to San Francisco, right? Um. But I made the very most of it I could, but I also took notes for a return trip someday. Um, The Grand Canyon has lots and lots and lots of hiking, and it's not anything to sneeze at, as they say. Over 250 people per year have to be rescued. From their hike into the Grand Canyon. Because people underestimate it. They have their own little campaign there called Hike Smart. It's all built around the idea that going into the Grand Canyon. You have all these touristy tourists coming in. Millions a year. Not everyone that's going in there is an outdoorsman. Or a backwoodsman or in good shape. Yeah. And 250 people a year have to be rescued. And you know some of them don't make it. Um... Other things, obviously, you can do in the Grand Canyon is float a raft down the Colorado River, which is really hard to do and really expensive. You have to win a weighted lottery to get a permit. It is between $1,800 and $4,000 if you were to win that permit. It's between $1,800 and $4,000 to do that float. It's going to take one to three weeks of your life that you're going to have to have that vacation time. It's a logistics nightmare for most people. Especially middle class working folk. Um, It's not easy to accomplish. But I can offer you an alternative. There are other rivers. Yeah I mean if you want to just say I rafted the mighty Colorado River in the Grand Canyon. Which I do and someday in better circumstances and situations. I'll take my shots at that lottery you bet. But. If you want an experience like floating the Colorado River, there are alternatives that you don't have to win a permit for. Um, One of those is Cataract Canyon, which is, they say, kind of like the little sister, the younger sister of the Grand Canyon. It is still the Colorado River, guys, and still really deep and still through beautiful red walls, multicolored red walls. And you don't have to win a lottery and it doesn't cost $4,000. And it's just <laughs> upriver from the portion that goes through Grand Canyon National Park. Still Colorado River, still the same canyon, but not quite the same canyon. It formed at a younger period. Um, also, the Green River, which is a tributary of the Colorado River that goes through Desolation Canyon. Also, you can do the R- Yampa River that will take you through Dinosaur National Monument, which is apparently very, very cool. My little cursory researcher earlier showed me like you can find fossils like there It takes you through Dinosaur National Monument, which is a national park I want to check out anyway. National Monument anyway. It's administered by national parks. um, And it's a tributary of the Green River, which is a tributary of... The Colorado River. Like it, they're all kind of connected, but they're all going through just incredible, incredible canyon lands. And those three, you don't have to win a lottery, and you don't have to pay out the nose to be able to do it. So I just want to throw that out there. Yeah, I think we all want to be able to say, to have that that badge on our vest, I floated, I rafted the Colorado River. I think everyone wants to be able to say that, but realistically, it's hard to pull off. And if you do care about just the experience itself and not just something that you can brag about. I've just offered you three viable alternatives that are possible and a lot more um accessible, easier to pull off. The logistics are a little bit easier. So, you are welcome for that. Um driving back down to Williams that night was really cool experience for me actually cuz I'm coming back and I'm still kind of basking in the afterglow of seeing the Grand Canyon. And as I'm coming down, I see all these huge puffy clouds popping up in the distance with haze underneath them. In the plains, those are thunderstorms. They're pop-up summer showers. We know what they look like. But the haze underneath them is gray. The haze underneath these was white. And I found out why, relatively quickly. They have pop-up snow showers. Like we have here in the central United States in the Great Plains, pop-up thunder showers. And one of those popped up on me. And for like five minutes, it was like a whiteout. It was like near blizzard conditions, huge snowflakes, like blowing so hard you couldn't even see the road. And then the the rest of my trip back to Williams was just dotted with with snowflakes here and there and seeing all this snowfall on the side of the road. And it was just like such a surreal experience for me because I don't live in the high desert and the high plains. That's not something that happens all the time. It is very rare for us to get snow. We do two to three times a year, but not in that fashion. That was just really beautiful with the setting sun behind a pop-up snow shower. That was really cool. And that day was Christmas Day. And I got back to my hotel in Williams and I got my takeout for dinner and I stood on the steps or the front porch of my little hotel I was staying in that night, watching the snowfall on Christmas Eve in Williams, Arizona. On the cusp of the adventure of my lifetime. And for a minute. All was well in the world. Everything. Opportunity. Lay before me. And I was going to embrace it. With absolutely open arms. An open mind. An open heart. And I could not wait to get after it. And in the next episode. We're going to get after it. It's a perfect segue. It's time to wrap this one up. And get this bad boy edited. Um, next episode, we're going to make the next leg of the journey onto to San Francisco. I really appreciate you guys stopping by and checking out Wayward Stories, the inaugural episode. I hope you guys will give us a chance and check out the rest of our episodes and, and hopefully we can get you to hang around. And I would love to have your story. Please send your story if you're interested in having it read on air and you'd like to share it with me and everyone else out there in listener land, You can do that at mywaywardstory at gmail.com. You can also go to our website, waywardstories.com. Um, if, you, if, if thou sippeth of the social mead... You can go over there and check out our YouTube link. You can check out out all our private groups, Facebook, Reddit, private groups, my Instagram, the blog. Um, We got pictures and you can submit your story there as well through the contact form. If you'd like to support us on Patreon right now, it is completely funded out of my wallet and podcasting is not cheap. If you'd like to support this independent artist, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wayward stories. I would absolutely Appreciate any support you offer and always 20% of anything that comes in through Patreon from our patrons goes to a charity. Um, That's going to wrap us up for this week. Again, I thank you for stopping by Wayward Stories. Until we meet again, be good to each other and find something out there in the world to go do and make a difference. Make the world a little bit of a better place. The hill might be steep and the trail be rocky. The mountaintop awaits. Carry on.